Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Heavenly Father, we appreciate your work that you have done in the past, the present, and the future as it pertains to our salvation. We want to be a church that shares that truth with others so people can come to a saving faith in you. We know that you work through us. Use us, Lord, to be a church that makes disciples who make disciples. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen. Well, a large gathering in the name of Jesus is not always an indication of spiritual vitality, but that's kind of the issue that we have most often, don't we? We think that sensationalism is what it's all about. The more people you have, the more successful you are, but that's not always the case. Today, we see many large gatherings in the name of Jesus. It is nothing today to see churches in the thousands. Some churches nowadays even claim to be in the tens of thousands. These gatherings are founded on what we would call seeker-friendly slash seeker-sensitive principles. These principles cater to a plethora of needs. The teaching and preaching in these types of gatherings would be considered to be pragmatic. It's nothing more than quick fixes, quick fixes for health, quick fixes for wealth, and quick fixes for a robust self-esteem. That's pragmatism. They're nothing more than TED Talks about an earthly Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. They're nothing more than TED Talks about an earthly Jesus. A Jesus who's king for the moment. What's not happening is the exhortation about the real Jesus. That's actually what's lacking. See, the exhortation about the Jesus who was actually king for all of eternity, but like always, same stuff, just a different day. Even when Jesus walked this very earth, people wanted to crown him king for the moment. They too wanted a king to deliver them. They wanted to be delivered from poverty. They wanted to be delivered from hunger. They wanted to be delivered from sickness and anxiety. Today, we're going to get a glimpse into what people actually wanted. They wanted a king for the moment, not a king for eternity. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, Fish That Never swam. Fish that never swam. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, as we've already stated. We're going to be starting the very first part of chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15 this morning. We can't forget that last time, though, previously just two weeks ago, as Pastor Jared did our last sermon in the Gospel of John, we were encouraged in the notion that the truth of Scripture reveals the truth about Jesus. And this is the same Scripture that causes us to worship Jesus over 
man. That was our encouragement from two weeks ago. We also recognize that if we do not worship Jesus, then it's Scripture itself that actually condemns us. It's God's Word. It is God's truth that condemns us. And today we're going to embark upon our maiden voyage into chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, which begins with Jesus feeding thousands of people. And he did so with only five barley loaves and two small fish. We'll uncover evidence of a large gathering of people who were only interested as Jesus being king for the moment, which is evident when the people say this in our text this morning, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. And we know this is absolute truth when John records Jesus, aware that they intended to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Again, Jesus is not king for the moment. He's king for all of eternity. Let's get into our text. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, a large crowd was following him because they were watching the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. But Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. So Jesus, after raising his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these people may eat? But he was saying this only to test him, for he himself knew what he intended to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is, nothing, is not enough for them for each to receive just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy who is here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people reclined to eat? Now, there was plenty of grass in the place, so the men reclined about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were reclining, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come to the world. Jesus, aware that they intended to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Amen. As we look at these 15 verses this morning, we're going to put them into this sentence that defines everything that we're actually seeing in the text, and that sentence states this, and this is our main idea for this morning. Jesus couldn't be the momentary king of earth because he's the eternal king of the universe. Jesus couldn't be the momentary king of earth because he's the eternal king of the universe. And as we begin right here in verses 1 through 3, we start off with this little phrase that says, after these things. After these things, as in after the witness of Jesus' equality with God. We just got done doing two sermons 
in the Gospel of John to finish chapter 5, and, and we saw two things, didn't we? We saw Jesus saying, I am equal with God because I am God in human form, and He did this through the witness of His works, and He also let them know that this was true through the witness of Scripture through God's Word alone, which we know from the beginning of John and John 1 that Jesus is the Word. Therefore, He testifies about Himself as God. And both of these witnessed Him as, and this is the most important witness, witnessed Him as the Messiah. And only a Messiah, only a Savior, can be King for all of eternity. A Messiah can never be King for the moment. Jesus went away, it says. But what happened? A large crowd was following Him. Why did this large crowd follow Him? They wanted to crown Him King for the moment. The crowd wanted that quick fix that we already mentioned at the outset. And it's right here in verse 2 when verse 2 says, because they were watching the signs which He was performing on those who were sick. They didn't want a King for eternity. No, they wanted temporary health. They wanted temporary wealth. They wanted a temporary boost in their self-esteem because of the witness of God and the witness of Scripture. We know that this cannot be true because Jesus is equal to God. And as a loving God, He would never give us something that's temporary. He would never just give us a quick fix for the moment to make us feel good about where we're at at any particular time in our life. He will sustain us for all of eternity. And we know that Jesus is just that. He is equal to God. Therefore, Jesus knew this is exactly what they wanted. So, He went up on the mountain and sat with His disciples. He wasn't going to give them what they wanted. So as we move on to verses 4-7, through seven, now it's important that we're actually contrasting the temporal with the eternal. Because as the King of eternity, Jesus not only sustains all things eternal, but He also sustains all things temporal. And there's a temporary need He's about ready to maintain. And we're talking about hunger here. It says his eyes are seeing that a large crowd was coming to him. So he decides to test Philip. That's exactly what he's doing right here. He asks, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? See, in verse 7, it's quite clear that Philip forgets that Jesus and his equality with God Verse 7 is a dead giveaway that even his disciple Philip had forgotten that Jesus was king for all of eternity, not just king for the moment. Again, Jesus is king for all of eternity and not the moment. We can't forget that. He wanted health, which is for the moment. Wealth is for the moment. And Philip was concerned about the latter. Philip was concerned about temporary wealth. What does Philip say? He says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough for them for each to receive just a little. Brothers and sisters, do you, do you see what this is telling us? And now we, we started off and said, just because it's a large gathering, 
in the name of Jesus that is not an indication of spiritual vitality. Remember that? But look at Philip here. See, what this is telling us now, it's not just large gatherings. It can be in small gatherings too. Even small gatherings in the name of Jesus aren't necessarily an indication of spiritual vitality. Because even Philip himself took his eye off the prize and was more concerned with wealth over what Jesus could do as God. And let's face some facts. We just saw Jesus, as we've gone through the first five chapters of the Gospel of John, perform some miracles, haven't we? Philip should have known. He should have known better than anybody. He should have known better than that large crowd that was following Jesus. Even the small, intimate gatherings get caught up in the moment. 200 denarii was an eight-month wage for the average person at that time. That's a significant amount of money. Take eight months of your wage and add that up. You wouldn't want to lose that either, would you? Can you see why he's worried about the moment? Right now in your life, is the Lord testing your eternal faith with temporary needs? Because I think that's an application question that we can ask ourselves as we see Philip here with Jesus. There's not one of us here that doesn't have a temporary need. So we ask that question. Is the Lord testing our eternal faith with the temporary needs that we currently have? Ask yourself, do I want a king for the moment or do I want a king for eternity? That is really the true question. Sure, we're going to have temporary needs, but we can't let us wanting to make Jesus king over our temporary needs trump him as king over all of eternity because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So as we move on to verses 8 through 10, Jesus is about ready to show us why he is actually king of eternity. He's going to do so with five barley loaves as we see here in the text, and he's going to do so with two formerly swimming fish multiplied into fish that never swam. Now, it's important that we take note of verse 10. It says that the men reclined about 5,000 in number. Now, this is an indication that Jesus actually did not feed 5,000 men alone. It says that he fed 5,000, asked 5,000 to recline, but this is actually an indication that Jesus actually fed quite more people than just 5,000. See, 5,000 men could have been accompanied with their wives, and that could have been 10,000 right there. And let's just say each couple had at least two kids with them. At the bare minimum, Jesus probably fed about 20,000 people right here in this miraculous account. This indicates much to us about what Jesus is capable of doing. Now, a king for the moment isn't capable of doing very much at all because a king for the moment wouldn't have responded to Philip this way. A king for the moment would have seen the 20,000 people and probably would have said, Philip, you know what? You are absolutely right. We don't have the funds to feed these people. Plus, where would we acquire such a large amount on such a short notice? Do you know who does this stuff now? Pretty much most of those guys that you see on TV, 
that ask you to, you know, sow a seed and send in money to them. That's what they're doing. We, we know that they're not preaching the gospel because they treat the gospel as though Jesus is king for the moment. They don't preach Jesus as king eternal, king for all of eternity. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is no temporary king. Scripture, again, as we saw two weeks ago with Pastor Jared, Scripture alone reveals His deity. As we saw three weeks ago, Jesus and His works alone reveal His deity. And what we're about ready to witness is more of His miraculous work. And we begin that work with verse 11. This is where we witness His miraculous work because He multiplied five barley loaves for up to 2,000 or 20,000 men and women and children. He took two fish that used to swim and multiplied them into enough fish that never swam to feed up to 20,000 people. Now, take a look at the word distributed in verse 11. The reason why I'm having you look at that word is because I want you to realize something about what we can apply from that word alone and what Jesus is saying. Because actually, even though this is talking about his disciples, this is of great encouragement to us as well. We're led to believe that Jesus distributed the food through his disciples through the way in which this text is telling us, the way in which John recorded this. For God, this is actually par for the course. After all, he has a history of using finite man to carry out the work of an infinite God. Throughout the history of the Bible, we see evidence of God using finite man to carry out the work of an infinite, holy God. He used Moses. He used Noah. He used David just to mention a few. And we know that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And we get this from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, where God's Word tells us, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Again, where was Philip at at this particular moment right up into this point? He wanted what the world determined as strength. It was wealth. Sometimes we think it's health. Sometimes we just think it's a robust self-esteem. He has chosen to allow his disciples to participate in his miraculous work. Do you know what this actually reminds me of? As I'm seeing him use his own disciples, even though we know that Philip wasn't quite catching on up until this point, so it wasn't like they got it either. What this reminds me of, how he uses us to participate in his miraculous work as well. And that miraculous work that I'm talking about is salvation. He uses us to share our faith with others. When people see Christ in us, what they're really having had happen to them is God's using us to lead them to himself. 
This is of great encouragement to us. And with that being a great encouragement, let's not forget about the great commandment. Go therefore, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the reason why we say know, grow, go here at Villa's Grace. We want to know Jesus. We want to grow in Jesus. And we want to go with Jesus to do exactly that. Jesus using his disciples to participate in the miracle in which he was doing should give us all the confidence and encouragement in the world for us to go out and share our faith and allow the Lord to use us as well. I don't know about you, but according to the world, though, it is going to be challenging because according to the world, I'm foolish looking, I'm foolish acting, and I'm foolish speaking. Even the words in which I'm using this morning from the time I stepped on here until the time I step off, every last word according to the world that I use, every point that God is driving home here through John in chapter 6 is foolishness. It doesn't make sense. Only to us who have a saving faith in Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit residing in us, know that this makes all the sense in the world. So as we go back to verse 11, let's take a look at 12 to be exact, where Jesus said, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be lost. Just because Jesus could take five barley loaves and two fish and feed 20,000 people, it doesn't mean that we can ever be wasteful with his abundance. Jesus doesn't mean that we can be wasteful with any amount of resources that he's ever given us abundantly. The disciples soon realized that their meal the next day was actually coming from the five loaves and the two fish from the day prior. Brothers and sisters, maybe the Lord has given you an abundance. Maybe he has actually given you in abundance. So the real question is, how are you managing it? How are you managing it? Because quite clearly from what we see here in the text, in verse 12, we are not to be wasteful. Now, as we move on to our last two verses this morning, we mentioned at the outset a large gathering in the name of Jesus is not always an indication of spiritual vitality. The people, as it says right here, saw the sign which he had performed. What did they say? They said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Apparently, they knew enough about Jesus' miraculous work, and they knew enough about Scripture itself to know he had prophetic characteristics. They knew just enough to know all of that. However, they did not know is that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. They did not know that Jesus was king for eternity. They wanted those quick fixes. They wanted a king for the moment, which is why verse 15 says what it says. So Jesus, aware that they intended to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't come into this world on our terms. 
Jesus doesn't draw us to him according to our terms. See, he comes to us on his terms. The people wanted an earthly king. They wanted a king to lead them in the overthrowing of the Romans. They wanted to march on Jerusalem. Jesus did not come to save nations. He did not come to save governments. He came to save individual people. It's a narrow gate that leads to life. One at a time. Individually with Jesus. It's a narrow gate that leads to destruction. These are the words from Jesus himself in Matthew 7. See, that's why those large gatherings aren't always an indication of spiritual vitality. Because most people say, well, I showed up at church with everybody else. I'm here with the crowd. I did my duty. See, that's where they get it all wrong. It's a personal, individual relationship with the Lord. And we come to Him on His terms. Not our terms. Not according to what the world says. We come to Him on His terms. Like the 20,000 that were fed by the five barley loaves and two fish, today we see many large gatherings in the name of Jesus. Again, sometimes these gatherings are founded on seeker-friendly and seeker-sensitive principles. And, and basically what we mean by that, sometimes these, these gatherings are, what can we do to get you to come? That's that pragmatism. That's a pragmatic practice. What is it that we have to do to get you to come here instead of saying, this is God's word? Let's worship the Lord. And we know that we define worship as the appropriate response to God's revelation. We have His Word. We have His entire revelation. We have everything. What did we see Jesus just a few weeks ago talk about with John the Baptist? He said that He was the greatest man to ever have lived. And that was because He not only shared the prophecy about Jesus, but he got to participate in that said prophecy. But we are actually greater than John the Baptist. And I know that seems hard to believe, but John the Baptist was beheaded at the request of Herod prior to Jesus going to the cross. He didn't have the full revelation that we've had. We have the entire revelation of the gospel before us. And it's our response to that revelation is the determination of whether or not we are worshiping the Lord. And that is something that we don't just do when we sing songs or preach the Word or have the Word taught and we listen. No, that is something that we do in every facet of our life. We should respond to every single situation in an appropriate manner as to how God has revealed Himself. If Jesus were seeker-friendly or seeker-sensitive, then he would have given the people what they wanted. Because he would have said, what is, what, what, is it, what is it going to take for you to come and, and follow me? Oh, you, you want me to be king? Oh, I can be king. That's not worship. That's worship of yourself. 
That's getting what you want. That's that health, wealth, and a boost in your self-esteem. That's that TED Talk that you want to hear. That's not the gospel. That's when you take Jesus, who is king for eternity, and just make him king for the moment. An earthly king, a king for the moment, and he wouldn't have achieved all of which through those pragmatic principles. Brothers and sisters, we have a commandment to fulfill. It's just that simple. So when you walk back in our fellowship area and you see the no, grow, go on the wall, think about that commandment each and every time. Think about Matthew 28. We have a great commission to actually live out and the best way in which we can live that commandment out is through worship, through the appropriate response to God's revelation about Himself. He's given us abundant life. Abundant life which is far superior to riches, far superior to health, far superior to a boost in our self-esteem. Those are all just temporary quick fixes that mean absolutely nothing compared to eternity. So the real question, the real question for all of us how are we managing to share it? How are we managing the abundance that the Lord has given us, this knowledge of eternal life? And that's a question we should continue to ask ourselves, especially as we remember our main idea and the point that John is driving home through the record that we see here in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Jesus couldn't be the momentary king of earth because he's the eternal king of the universe. The worship of our lives because of that truth, how are we managing the abundance in which the Lord has given us? The name of the game, the reason why we're left behind here on earth is to share Christ and Him crucified and see others come to a saving faith in Him. So as we continue on this morning, I want to call Hallie up, Miss Hallie. I want to call our elders up as they pass out the ordinances. I want to talk just briefly here about communion and the past, present, and future aspects of our salvation before we partake in the bread and the cup. But communion actually represents just that. Communion is a representation of the work of Jesus. It's the work of Jesus in the past. It's His work in the present it's His work in the future that has actually solidified our salvation. His work has paved the way. His work has paved the way for our repentance. Culture confuses the past with the present. And that's what we see. That's what's been going on. Those who confuse the past with the present, they do so because they lack a future. Those who rewrite history, rewrite history because they don't have a future secured for them. Brothers and sisters, we have a future. Therefore, prior to taking communion this morning as the elders pass out the ordinances currently, I would like to encourage us all, because we have a future, to confess any unconfessed sin in our lives. 
as we're encouraged in this work of Jesus. So let's just take a moment to just bow our heads personally and confess any unconfessed sin in our lives. Now let's examine his past work. And we'll do this by turning to John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17, and then we'll also do so in 1 John 1, 9. In the cleansing of sins, first, John chapter 13, 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And now another past work of Jesus as found in John 1 9, 1 John 1 9, in the cleansing of sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I would like to observe the love feast, which we will be partaking in after service, that Jesus will share this love feast that we're talking about with His bride, the church, that is us who believe in Him into the future. And we see this as it's depicted in Revelation chapter 19, verses 5 through 9. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard a, in what seemed to be a voice of great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, church, He draws us to Him on His terms, not ours. At this time then, I would like for us to observe the bread and the cup as depicted in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ broken for you. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Brothers and sisters, 
proclaim the death of Jesus which made Him King for all of eternity. The blood of Jesus poured for you. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for Your work. We still continue to ask that we are used by You to share our faith with others. Help position us to be a church focused on discipleship so we can grow in You for the purpose of going with Christ and sharing that good news with others. We pray for our meal that we're about ready to partake in. Thank You for providing such a meal. We know that You are more than capable, especially from the words that we saw from John in the sixth chapter this morning and your ability to create miracles. Thank you for all that you do. And we pray all of which in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.